again, you don't want to kick off with a bluesy feeling. Why not? Never back the early kickoff time. But <laughs> the familiar feeling sinking yeah. in. <laughs> yeah. You're looking, you're looking at your guard. This is next level shit, man. It is, it is. I'm not sure if it's true. It's like four dimensional chess. The return of the blockfish. <laughs> so you were like Traore last 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 week. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe you can be more Saint Maximin this week. Nice. Okay. Deliver the goods. Thank you. Was I or was I not right? Is that what you were asking? If you could just set this, like as you read out the answers, give me a massive wink or like <laughs> mouth at this one to me as you go through them. That'd be really appreciated. And not they weren't jerking. They were just very nervous about the threat that they posed every time they came forward. Always ready, Tom. Yep. Hello and welcome to the Knee Jerks, the FBL show that fills your ears with piping hot stats and gets your knees ready to jerk with me, Tom, and Mr. Robbie Scott. How are you doing this week, Robbie? Very good. Really uh, appreciate the formality of the Mr. Robbie Scott. (laughs) No, I'm good. I'm good. I felt like fantasy was really back this week. The template is truly there. The premiums are not getting us any points. This is the fantasy that I, I know and love. Yeah, um, and so it's it's starting to become differential city, in my opinion. Depending on which which of the mid mids you've got, maybe which of the mid strikers you've got. But uh, yeah, it's feeling pretty good. How are you? Yeah, good. I'd agree that it was kind of like revenge of the mid mids this, <laughs> this week because you know if uh, the template has just felt like it's come on so strong with Lukaku, Ronaldo, and, and Salah. And maybe Trent as well. Yeah, of course. Three out of four didn't perform. Yeah, yeah, really good point. And then you look at across the midfield at these midfielders who are between like five and eight, and they all started to deliver this week. So Jota finally got that goal that he's been promising for ages. Obviously, Sars kicked on with another goal. The Everton boys all returned, mm-hmm. um, all three of them. And as we're going to go through, quite a few other midfield options. Rafinha comes to mind straight away as well. I do think that that's better for fantasy because they're the kinds of players that you reap the rewards of research for. Absolutely. I mean, I've got rid of all of my mid-mids. <laughs> it's like clinging on with Saar, who's quite... these low sixes, isn't he, at the moment? Yeah, but, you know, you've got quite a lot of those, like, classic nuggets. Gallagher, classic nuggets. He's, he's, yeah. he's, he's a cracking nugget. 5.5 and, like, doing really well in stats. Damari Gray, obviously, is one of those classic early season nuggets who is really cheap and... Please don't ask me to explain what I mean by nugget. It just, just <laughs> sounded like the right word. Saar, obviously, is just like the main attacking threat for Watford. So I'd be happy with that like collection of nuggets that you've sampled. Oh, I'm very happy. I'm not happy with the amount of points they're getting. I'm just, like you say, you look at your team and you think, yeah, there's points to come. I was, every now and again, it was a couple of weeks ago, actually, when hubris was really settling into my head. And I thought, what would happen to the podcast if I finished the end of this game week top of everything? this would be amazing and then of course I had the worst week ever and it it genuinely feels like that some weeks you look at your team you go yeah this is going to be a good week and then it turns out we've all got the same players and you you maybe get one or two points more or less than average yeah yeah and one of the disappointing things sometimes is when someone like Ronaldo blanks and you think right we're rubbing your hands thinking right we're really going to make up the ground here and then you know you find out that if most people owned Ronaldo and someone else and because they owned the other player, whether that's Antonio or Salah or whoever, they still get those points, and they've only really lost out on about six, yeah. or between six and eight points. Yeah. Um, so the ground that you make up isn't actually that big. But that kind of takes us into the knee joke of the week, which I want to go through just before we talk through the schedule. It's a bit of a collective set of jerks this week, <laughs> uh, known as Manchester United. 
Um, so, Robbie, you highlighted that a lot of people are shipping Luke Shaw. He's the most sold player so far this week on the back of United's loss to Villa. And it's a great point, given that he's third, like the third most creative defender in the league so far. So he's third for chances created. He's second for big chances created. Obviously, Trent is top for both of those. Wow. Um, and most of those crosses that he's been you know, whipping in have Ronaldo to aim at now, right? But looking at the list of transfers, we also notice that it's not just Shaw that's losing owners. So he's lost 320,000 as um, we talk. Bruno is the third highest, 130,000. And Ronaldo himself (laughs) is in fifth, losing 90,000 managers in the last couple of days. So that in particular is a crazy reaction to just one blank, right? I mean, he's played three league games so far. He's got three goals. As we discussed last week, he's off the charts for chances per minute. So, what do you think? Is everyone going mad getting rid of United players? Oh, it's it's a good question. I'm going to put down the Ronaldo shipping to the fact that Lukaku now comes into a very, very rich lot of fixtures. And also because maybe people are worried that he's not nailed on penalties. But now I guess with Fernandes missing... Maybe he is more so. Oh man, we've got to talk about the shithousery from Emiliano Martinez. That was incredible. <laughs> I mean, for for me, like anyone who can shithouse people at Old Trafford is, is is immediately a hero, right? But the way he did it when he was, I think in Spanish he was saying like "teratilo," which is like you know you take it to like Ronaldo. He's like shouting it at Ronaldo, saying wow. "you take it, you take it," and obviously like Bruno just stood there with the ball in his hand. <laughs> And it really must have got in his head. No, it must have. And then afterwards, you see his little dance as well, yeah. which is just, it's just incredible. I think that's one of the worst penalty misses I've ever seen as well. There'll yeah, be memes yeah. about that for years. From Fernandez as well, who I think he's only ever missed one penalty for United, and that was saved. Yeah. So it's his first one off target. Something got in his head, didn't it? Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, but, he's still threatening. The fact that he's on penalties suggests that he might still share them. With, with Ronaldo you'd think that Ronaldo might take the next one now but you know if anything that just highlights Ronaldo's value going up Absolutely. in terms of what he can deliver so the the fixtures aren't even that bad would you be getting rid of any United players? I mean I have as of last night Shaw's gone from my team just wasn't performing in fixtures that I expected him to perform it's the lack of clean sheets I think people yeah. would be prepared to stick with Shaw if he was getting clean sheets with dangerous amounts of crosses on top of that but without those what what kind of asset is he i mean if you if you're going off occasional assists infrequent clean sheets then suddenly shaw's not looking that much better than you know a brentford mm. defender or something who you know at home you'd fancy getting a clean sheet against a, a few teams and you know they play with wing backs so they they might chip in with assists as well so yeah, suddenly Shaw isn't really looking like the pound shop Trent that we've uh, bigged him up as. But I, I think as well the injury was just a nail in the coffin for yeah, me. Yeah, you know, Nought points was just a little bit of salt in the wound. I'd definitely bring him back for that run from game week 14 onwards. You know, it's such a good run. And, you know, like we've said, he's still so high for chances created that he's going to get assists. So if you're looking at a run of fixtures where you think even United will get clean sheets, then he's definitely worth it. And could be worth value-wise as well, waiting until then. Because if he drops by even 0.2 by then, he'd be a real steal at like 5.3 or yeah, like low fives. The final thing to say is that, you know, and it brings me no joy to say this, but 
is there now evidence that Ronaldo might actually be damaging United as a team? <laughs> <laughs> was I or was I not right? Is that what you're asking? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's plenty of evidence, isn't there? It's 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 strange. I, I mean, I think the young boys game, you could definitely see why Ronaldo might not be that much of an asset in certain types of games. So United had gone down to 10 men. You need that kind of energy from your remaining 10 players to make up for that. And you're never going to get that from Ronaldo, who, as we know, in the last few years has adapted his game to just kind of hang around in the area. And I think in other types of games, you know, where United aren't really enjoying the bulk of possession, that could also come to damage them. But it's strange that they've... This Villa game wasn't like that, right? I mean, he seemed to still get a good amount of chances. It just didn't really happen for him. Yeah, it, is it is it just a blip? I mean, they've been very steady so far, haven't they, United? I don't think they were lucky against West Ham, although it ended up being quite close. They look, they just look pretty ruthless. And I I would definitely put the, the Villa loss down to a bit of an anomaly, shall we say. And, and also give Villa a bit of credit that they seem to have come across a really good system and maybe more on that later uh get yourself very short there so. <laughs> yeah i've got a few things that i want to say about villa later because um i think they deserve a lot of credit for that win and, and and it comes off the back of a couple of good performances what are you saying though tom knee jerk or shrewd move getting rid of united players i think if you're thinking of shipping united players and you're looking at alternative assets like chelsea defenders instead of shaw you're looking at alternative strikers like lukaku instead of uh, ronaldo and instead of Bruno, you might be looking at you know Salah. I mean, he's in that category. Then all three of those types of moves would be very shrewd. There we go. It's official. <laughs> shrewd move. It's a shrewd move for me as well. I do think the game was a one-off, but their, fi- their fixtures are getting more and more difficult, and things just aren't quite gelling, are they? Sancho's mm-hmm. still yet to get off the mark. They're just getting used to a system with Ronaldo, like you say. And although that could be a very prosperous situation to be in for them at the moment it really really isn't I would definitely say that if I had Ronaldo I'd keep him and we'll come to that a bit more later when we talk about captains but I think the rest of them you know as, as, a, as a collective they're not looking that great as you say and there's better options elsewhere so what else have we got coming up this week well we're going to switch things up a bit and talk about the knee jerks lead first so I'll go head over to you for that in a moment new format yeah, well, we need to reward the knee jerks uh, members, and I think there were quite a few interesting things to to highlight this week. So I'm looking forward to that review. Then we'll do a review of the Premier League weekend. I'll start this week with my stats test, and then we'll turn to you for the eye test. Always got the shopping list, the captains chat, and then finish with a quiz. Yes, I mean you don't need to think twice about what my favourite part of the show is. <laughs> Should we get started on the the mini league? Yeah. So what what stood out for you this week? Firstly, if you want to join the mini-league, do you remember what the code is off the top of your head, Tom? It starts with VV and then continues with YX2S. <laughs> Lovely. VVYX2S. So, looking at this week's mini-league, there are some, like you said, very, very key things to be talking about. It was a quiet week in terms of chips. No one used one. Understandably so. There were no real standout fixtures and no real standout hauls, I don't think. But this, I have to remember that this is all pre the Brighton game, which is happening tonight. We're recording this on a Monday. So yeah. things could change from here. We've got a new leader, or at least a return of the king. Average FM21 enjoyer reclaimed the top spot. They seems really clued up. I think they keep starting their backup goalkeeper. And I'm not sure if you've 
cottoned on to this. But that does seem to be a bit of a trend in that if your starter keeper has been sent off or has been injured probably pre-30 minutes, let's say. So history dictates that you're actually better off starting your backup keeper because they're, they're likely to save a penalty when they come in because the other one's been sent off. They don't get the minus points for the other keeper being sent off. Oh, my God. You're looking, you're looking at me aghast. This is next-level shit, it man. Is, it is. I'm not sure if it's true. It's like four-dimensional chess. <laughs> but but it's, it's certainly a bit of a power play because, obviously, those points don't come in until the end of the game week. So you might think you're doing really well. And then, of course, average FM 21 enjoyer comes in with steel coming out. Sanchez coming in, which this week doesn't matter so much because it's a Monday game. But uh. God, I love that. I love that because it's so kind of in depth, and yet what the, the chances of a return are so slim. Mm. But you might end up getting a maximum of what six points, yeah, uh, over the course of a year, maybe. But, but every it's, it's those margins that actually prove to be so decisive towards Absolutely. the end of the season, right? Absolutely, and you've almost got nothing to lose, like because your backup keeper's only going to come on if something bad's happened, unless the keepers gets injured in the 90th minute and you get a point but you know I, I don't think it's it's necessarily a bad tactic of course they captained Antonio approximately 30% of the teams in the mini league did which I thought was quite high in comparison to the rest of the world it definitely is but it just goes to show the sort of out of the box thinking we've got going on in our mini league yeah fields of Cascella therefore dropped down to second it's really suffered with a not necessarily a bad captain choice but an unlucky captain choice I think with Ronaldo mm. 40% of the league went with Ronaldo this week and I remember getting some texts from you on Saturday Tom panicking about Ronaldo potentially hauling against Villa yeah definitely <clears throat> I was texting you before panicking about the dual possibility of a City loss and a, a Ronaldo hat-trick um, happening right at the beginning of the game week <laughs> yeah and they, they both went quite well for you Tom <laughs> Who was also ahead of the curve on Christensen, who I'll be coming back to in a minute. Mm. Tom, you're back up to third as it stands. You're playing a very quiet game here. We, we don't mention you much on this podcast. You're, you're not far off the top. Little shout-outs, though. One size fits Hall, captain in Vardy. At the moment, he's got the highest amount of points this week in, in our league. But also, captain in Vardy against a, what looks like a pretty poor Burnley defence this season yeah. is, is a great move, I think. Always, always tempting to captain someone else, especially because Vardy hasn't got off to the, to the brightest start. Can I chip in on one size fits all? Absolutely. Because I noticed he played his wild card the week before and opted for Vardy up front instead of Lukaku or Ronaldo. Yeah, that's huge. Which obviously is a ballsy move, but then you look at who Vardy had and he had Brighton last week and you know it paid off. Vardy got eight points against Brighton. Then he's got. He obviously had Burnley at home this week, and which, as you pointed out, was a, was a great differential captain choice, and that's what he did, right? And you know he's got Palace up next, and I think like at the same time, Lukaku had that really tough game, which you can forgive him for blanking against City, perhaps, but you know he also didn't get anything against Spurs. Which on paper, you know, you could, might say is a tricky game as well. And then Ronaldo hasn't really got much either. And it's really paid off that he's gone for Vardy over those two huge, like, you know, trend-setting strikers. Absolutely. Just wanted to add a bit of more kudos for old one-size-fits-all there. If you're, if you're adding to kudos, then it's always welcome, Tom. We just don't take away in this game. And then finally, Biscuits, who, again, I'm not sure if Biscuits is playing a very clever keeper ploy, just like our, our new leader... Biscuits left Saar on the bench this week, who obviously got a clean sheet, an assist, 
two points for six <laughs> saves and three-point bonus and instead opted for Begovic, who hasn't played this week. So, obviously, Saar will be coming in for a massive, I think it's 14 points. That is a legendary keeper haul. That really is. It's huge. So, either that's one of the best moves I've ever seen, knowing that Begovic wasn't going to play this week, yeah. or that's one of the luckiest turn of events I've seen in a while. Yeah. But still, fair play for having Saar. I looked at him a couple of weeks ago when we were looking at sort of Wolves' defence, but... I thought their defence was so good he wouldn't be making that many saves, but yeah, I was same. very wrong. That's a great ploy. If he, if he, if he intended for Saar to come off the bench in this heroic last-minute <laughs> haul of points, that's amazing. So shall we move on to your under-the-radar picks, Tom? Yeah, well, it's strange. Then There's no blobfish this week. <laughs> the return of the blobfish. <laughs> yeah, and the blobfish <laughs> remained at the bottom of the ocean. Uh, because if you remember last week, we talked about Elianusi for Southampton. Southampton, who don't really score goals. So uh, he has no opportunities to surface that, that blobfish. So, yeah, he didn't really come through. But obviously some of the others that I mentioned last week did, and Cancelo was one of them, and Cancelo was you know, the standout performer in City's win at Chelsea. So sometimes... Is he, is he the best left-back in the league? I mean, I'd still go for Robertson in football terms, but in fantasy terms, we might be opening a discussion there. OK. Just because of how solid City are at the back. And what I try and do on the under-the-radar discussion is... You know, highlight players who you might not want to buy this week. Okay. But you know, you might be looking at your team and think, I've got a couple of good fixtures left out of Saar, but then I might be looking to move on. Mm-hmm. You know, these players who you only really get in for a good run of fixtures. So you know that run's coming to an end, and you're looking for someone in a couple of weeks. And and Cancelo was one of those players who I was thinking people might be looking at you know removing Shaw for in two weeks' time after City have played Chelsea and Liverpool. But as he showed against Chelsea. Uh, the way City are defending, you can probably bring them in at any time. Yeah, going back to that idea that we might be looking to move on some of our little move-around chess pieces, play, play, players that you bring in for a nice run of fixtures. Quite a few people brought in Ismail Saar for that run that he's had and is continuing to have, and he is really delivering. So, you know, uh, you were at the game where he scored against Watford this weekend, but... The week before, obviously, did really well. and But then the fixtures after this week start to turn a bit sour for Watford. You know, they've got Liverpool at home, then they travel to Everton. So things start to get a bit tricky for them. And you might be looking for someone to move to who's around the same price. Step up. Biscuits is hero. Uh, <laughs> Smith Rowe. So Smith Rowe's only 5.3. Wow. He, he start, so cheap, it's so it? cheap, yeah, right? Yeah. For a number 10 at Arsenal. Yeah, that's mad. So... He's been starting in the number 10 spot like week in, week out. He hasn't lost his place with Odegaard coming in as many expected. Odegaard's actually been playing slightly behind as this more kind of a defensive number eight, someone who is tasked more with ball retention and moving the ball around rather than getting close to the box and, and creating chances. That seems to be Smith Rowe's role instead. You know, he's he's obviously not killing it on the stats, Smith Rowe, but, but because he's so cheap, he doesn't need to be that high up there. But some of the stats that stood out was that he had the same XGI, that's like expected goal involvement, as Saka so far this season. So Saka does beat him on most metrics, but 
he's going to be there and thereabouts, mm. Smith Rowe, I think, whenever Arsenal score goals. And that's really highlighted by the next stat, which is that he's had seven shots inside the box so far this season. So that's like more than one a game, right? Yeah. That he's getting inside the box and having a shot, which puts him ahead of players such as Ben Rama, Rafinha, and Troyore, yeah. who've all had fewer than seven shots. Uh, and he's only 5.3. Yeah, yeah. That's, <laughs> that's a million cheaper than Saka as well, which is quite important at the moment as I'm finding out shifting players about. Um, he certainly passed the eye test, I'd say, on Sunday. It was, it was as if Arsenal had listened back to this pod, Tom, and heard every positive thing you'd said about them in the past, and they just suddenly felt invigorated to do well. And all the players that you were saying, yeah, just, just played out their skin. I'm excited about them now. Mm. Like, I, I think that, you know, they've, they've finally got this team together that, you know, they, I think they have the first choice in every position now. Yeah, um, so young as well. Bar, yeah. bar Aubameyang. It's nice to see. It's easy to get behind a team of underdoggy young talent, isn't it? Yeah, and and and, you, and in FBL terms, like, and this is one of the reasons I was excited about them going into the season, is that with the price prices that they cost those players. So you know, Tierney is the most expensive defender they've got at four point nine or something. You've, you've got centre backs you can choose from at four point four, four point five. In attacking positions, you've got players who are like six point three, five point three. I mean. Like, they only really need to be better than, you know, Brentford, Palace, th- these kind of, like, lower mid-table sides to, to, to really offer value. And if Arsenal just returned to how good they were last season, towards the end of last season, yeah. not, I'm, I'm not asking them to, like, knock on the door of European football, just, like, where they were, like, top eight, then suddenly they're going to be, like, full of bargains. Yeah, you're um, so right. So I do think they're, they're an exciting team to look out for in fantasy at the moment second one I seem to just have a City defender every week it's Laporte at 5.5 City centre back there was a lot of talk about Laporte a few weeks ago but then he got injured and I remember when we were talking about whether Lukaku could be a bit of an outside shot for captain when we were thinking last week of how he's going to stand up against Nathan Ake and probably bully Nathan Ake and then Pep obviously pulled out this surprise that Laporte just came back fit and started and no one was really expecting that And we, but when we were talking about the contrast and how you know Lukaku would probably get a lot of joy against Aki one of the things that I highlighted was how City had played three games with Aki, three games with Laporte hadn't conceded a single goal with Laporte had conceded five goals in three games when Aki started Laporte comes back in what is probably the most difficult fixture in the Premier League calendar, Chelsea away gets a clean sheet should have scored a goal. He was on the end of a set piece from, from De Bruyne that went a whisker past the post. So I, I looked at his attacking numbers, and he overall, no defender has had more shots inside the box than Laporte. So he's on 10 shots inside the box. He keeps getting on the end of these chances, which is the same amount as Van Dijk and Duffy, legend in the making, TM. <laughs> um, and... Having played a full two games less than Van Dijk and Duffy, and wow. he's still got the same amount of shots inside the box as them two. So Pep's comments again today ahead of the Champions League game underscored what he's been saying all season about players who who are playing really well, keeping their place in the side, and you know he has sort of stay, stayed true to that. You know, like Bernardo has kept his place in the side, Grealish has kept his place in the side, and Laporte, I just can't see being dropped for stones at any point. As, as, as long as he's fit so the last time City conceded a goal in the Premier League was Son's goal in, the, in game week one wow I mean you've got to jump on their defence right 
Yeah, and I mean, who who stands out for you? Do you think? Like we've talked about Cancelo already, and yeah, I mean, my dad's a big fan of Diaz. He's he's racked him up quite a few points this season. I think for six, it's difficult for six point one. I don't know what it is about wing backs that are just more appealing. Is it just because we see them? flying crosses left, right and centre and because obviously for 90 minutes they're further forward than the centre-backs, aren't they? Yeah. But like you say, you highlighted um, Van Dijk last week and now it's another centre-back. Maybe we should be taking him a lot more seriously. For that, I still have my full-back bias and I think I'd go for Cancelo. But for 0.6 cheaper, it seems like a very shrewd move, Tom. It's a great pick. Yeah, I think I would slightly favour Cancelo if money was no object mm-hmm. but you know money might be tight when we're trying to squeeze in a lot of these players and 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 that I don't think Cancelo will end up with that many more points than Laporte if Laporte scores the occasional header from from set pieces I think I agree overall for full backs especially wing backs are so much more exciting because they threaten to give you that legendary haul that yeah. Trent always delivers which is you know the clean sheet an yep. attacking return like an assist or a goal all three bonus I mean it's, it's a huge haul so I, I think for that reason I'd also slightly favour Cancelo do you point six favour him though Tom? well that's it If I'm, I'm probably going to be looking at a wild card in the next few weeks and you know, you heard if, it here first. <laughs> a big announcement. <laughs> you need to prepare me for those kind of things, Tom. It might be the international break which comes after this one, and you know I'll be looking to get a city defender in for that. And if it means that you know I need the money to get a few decent midfielders, etc., then dropping down from Cancelo to Laporte would be an easy decision to make. I think one player who probably won't be getting in on the wild card just because I never seem to get him in fantasy. And I want to hear your opinions on this, because he just doesn't really seem to fit. He never seems to fit in my plans, but he always delivers. So the the player I'm talking about is Vardy, 10.4, which is why he doesn't really fit very easily in, in a lot of the you know structures that we build our teams around, which means he always goes under the radar. But he's the second highest scoring forward in the game after Antonio. So he's averaging around seven points per game so far. He's... Also second behind Antonio for strikers who have recorded the highest number of shots inside the box. It wouldn't be late to jump on the bandwagon right now, I don't think, because they've got Palace, Brentford and Leeds in his next five games, which are three fairly forgiving defences. And a great captain differential, as you've already mentioned, with one-size-fits-all showing in the knee-jerk league this week. So, I don't know, would you consider Vardy? Like, It's hard to look beyond Ronaldo and Lukaku if you're going to get a premium striker, but... You know, he's always there, isn't he? No, he is. And you're so right. It's just understated, isn't it? I, I don't even pay him any attention. And suddenly he's, like you say, the second highest scoring uh, striker. I have been on the Vardy bandwagon before and it's paid off reasonably well. But I just, with Leicester playing the way they are at the moment, yeah, it's it's just difficult to, to get behind that, I think. The fact they've they've still got three strikers, Ian Acho and Daka lingering around Vardy, performing well at the moment. But... Is, is this the season where they start experimenting and getting some of the new blood in? Yeah, and if things don't improve, you'd expect that he has to start to experiment at some point. I mean, we saw last season how Vardy kind of transitioned into a provider at times for Inacho, and, 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 and he still delivered fantasy points from that kind of new position. But yeah, I think the point you make about Leicester's overall team form is that's the one reason I probably wouldn't go for him because 
you want to be looking at a run of fixtures for a team for a player in your team that's that expensive and thinking yeah great captain potential for some of these and whilst they have some good fixtures you just they just seem so unreliable don't they yeah um, you're right i wonder how many people have got him in to be honest yeah, well, that's another thing about Vardy. I looked at this when I was doing the thing, and it's like twelve point five percent. Wow! So it's not minuscule. You would, con- I would consider it. I would have expected it to be a lot lower, given that you know, there are such big names in in that position. What's um, Lukaku? Lukaku's a million more, and feels a bit feels more a bit more nailed and in a better team. Yeah, much better team. Yeah, and I mean Lukaku, I think will probably be the top scorer. I mean, it's, you would you would expect the Golden boot to be between Salah, Lukaku, and Ronaldo. I just can't see past either yeah, of any of them. Absolutely. Uh, and even then, you'd looking beyond that, you'd think of Kane in an ordinary season. <laughs> oh my word! <laughs> How about the anti-eye test up next? Maybe <laughs> yeah. top of the list. <laughs> yeah, I don't think there's much to say about Spurs, really, is there? But um, who has been passing the eye test? Good question. Thanks, Tom. Uh, it's a short but sweet one this week. Christensen, who we've already mentioned. A lot of people shipping out Shaw. He seems fairly nailed in a very strong Chelsea back line. And again, we talked about blips earlier. That game against City was insane. I texted you a thing about half-time. I've not seen Chelsea play that bad in a long time. They were just trying to hit on the counter and it just really wasn't worth With Lukaku rolling back the years with the first touch of, of 20, 2016 Lukaku, like just nothing was going right for them, so... We have to sort of ignore that and pick pick a few positive. Christensen at, at 5.0 did make De Bruyne look silly at one point. He sent him on a little merry, merry dance. Low on funds, still looking to tap into this Chelsea defence for a very strong set of fixtures. Um, there's greens for years, Tom. Greens for years. <laughs> yeah. um, and he looks pretty glued. He's missed one game this season, and I wouldn't be surprised if he missed another, but... I don't think that's enough to, to shy away from a, from a 5.0 who's probably going to get some pretty decent returns. I like people who I have no qual- like no reservations in starting, I would say. Yeah, yeah. And I think everyone in my team, including now shipping out Shaw for Christensen, I have no worries in starting because even if he doesn't start in the game, one of my bench, bench players will and he won't come on as a sub. So... He's um, it's shocked that he's only five. Yeah. I, I I just assumed that he was like five point five. That's incredible value, right? To get into that Chelsea defense. Yeah, and I think there is some some reservations because of the fact that you've got um you've got quite a few players lingering around. I know there's three centre back slots, but obviously Thiago Silva's lingering as well, who seems to be on the rotation. But like we said last week, Rudiger hasn't missed a week yet. Going into this easy run, maybe we'll start to see. Rudiger sit on the bench for a couple of games. Well-deserved rest, especially with Champions League coming up. Yeah, you know, that would be an interesting thing to look at, actually. Like, how some of Chelsea's fixtures in this sea of green that you mentioned fit in between Champions League games. So they've got, like, Juventus this week, which Mm. is obviously a tricky game, away. I'm not sure who they've got next week, but... As just a general little bit of advice, if you're going to look at the Chelsea defenders, it might be worth thinking about which of those games you would target as like a sort of resting opportunity if you were Tuchel, and then trying to plan around that because 
Yeah, I, I, it, it, straight away we just look at Premier League fixtures and we just think, oh, they're all great, I'll just get one of them. But you're right, uh, Champions League is definitely going to cause a lot of rotation. And even more so for Lukaku, actually. Only because Tuchel really doesn't seem to mind starting Werner. Maybe not Werner over Lukaku, but I wouldn't be surprised if that happened at some point. Has Werner shown any <laughs> signs of improvement over the last six months that he would decide to start him against Manchester City? I saw like a comment... Uh, I think one of the Guardian writers wrote it in their like ten things from the weekend that Werner loves running down uh, like cul-de-sacs just to show that they are cul-de-sacs, <laughs> just <laughs> like to confirm that. that they are cul-de-sacs. That's brilliant. And yeah, he does seem to just offer all that pace um, on the break, but it just sends him nowhere. Kind of no like input. Forrest Gump when he played American football, if you remember. He just <laughs> runs yeah, yeah. running. <laughs> yeah uh, I'd, I, I would be shocked if Werner started ahead of Lukaku. I'd, I'd probably be more inclined to say that Havertz would start ahead of yeah, Lukaku in that, in that position if, if Tuchel was going to rest Lukaku. But I don't really... One of the reasons why I favoured Lukaku ahead of Ronaldo that uh, a couple of weeks ago when we were deciding which one you would go to if you had to only have one was I just think Lukaku's in that prime of physicality where he'll probably play every important game yeah. kind of like Diaz for City like he's, he he won't get rested if if unless the game is a complete dead rubber even if he has to play three times a week wow, he's, okay. he's, and, and you know there's players like that for every team right and I just feel like Lukaku might be in that bracket or as close as you can get. Yeah, he's absolutely getting rested this weekend, isn't he, Tom? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, moving on to St. Maximan. St. Maximan? Am I saying it right? San Maximan, right? San but Maximan. that's. Yeah, talk to me about him. What a brilliant player to watch. Um, honestly, unbelievable. I was, there, so I was at the game on Saturday to watch Watford versus Newcastle. Watford scarf around the neck. Always been my second team to Liverpool. And. You just can't hate him. You honestly can't. He's a joy to watch. He's we're singing his praises last week, and I'll sing them all again this week. He is by far the only thing Newcastle have on offer. But the fact that they're able to what get results, yeah, what, <laughs> what a thing! Um, he just increases in price every time I've seen him. He played at different roles throughout the game. By the end of it, he was playing this just off the striker role, where he was just putting player after player through on goal, and each player was missing these one-on-ones and you're just embarrassed for them but we're running out of places to put him on our uh, podcast because I think he, <laughs> the, the, he, he first popped up in a discussion about um, you know cheap strikers who might replace Tony and I think um, he came up as one of these options who was creating a lot of chances but mm. wasn't really having a lot of shots then he came up I think last week when we were talking about the an, another stats based point that he was now starting to have a lot of shots he was seemed to be stepping into Wilson's role as being the main striker and now you know we've seen more of him he's in the eye test so I don't know where he's going to pop up next week maybe he'll be the knee jerk <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah I love talking about him let's hope not and it's, it's, it's not is it too late that's the only thing I would say He's now 6.8. He's got Wolves, Spurs, Palace, Chelsea, Brighton, Brentford. So it's favourable fixtures, but also we've got Wilson apparently due back after the international break. I know you've used the term hog before to describe people who are hogging the set pieces, but he's a hog in the sense that just everything goes through him. Newcastle have got nothing else, and he, but he couldn't be marked out the game either. There was nothing Watford could do, and it might not be the best test, Watford, um, they were absolute shambles I thought, 
but he was he was just exceptional. Slight concern, obviously, is that if he does start dropping off the striker role, he's almost out of position in the in the opposite way from how he yeah. was last season. Seven million for a midfielder is is sort of the going rate at the moment for an attacking midfielder, mm. um, but he does take up a forward position, so. Yeah, he's kind of like Vardy in the way that he doesn't quite fit into, like, if he once he's getting into the seven and eight bracket, you know, he's competing against people like Banford, Calvert Lewin, um, Watkins and Ings, and so, some of these other strikers who are right on the end of all the chances that their teams create, and they play for teams that create a good amount of chances, which is a shame because then up against those kinds of players, he's not really going to win out I don't think if you were choosing to have a player but as, at the moment you know 6.8 I guess he's still kind of in the same bracket as people like you know Tony and he offers a broad uh, like a, a broader threat than Tony you know he's someone who can get assists he's someone that with that pace and trickery you know if he has a tricky game like a Chelsea or a City or whatever he is the kind of player that can get something on the break. Like, I remember a couple of years ago, uh, Wolves beat City, and Traore scored twice. And, you know, barely scored all season, but scored against City. And it wasn't, like, a complete, like, um, fluke. It's because his set of skills are really good to play against a, a high-line team that you can catch on the break. And, you know, that's what Sam Maxman's got. He's got those skills in abundance. So, and it shows, when you look at, like, his returns this season, he's... There's only one game where he hasn't delivered a, an attacking return. Yeah. So he's just really consistent. And some of those games were tricky. Man United away got an assist. Villa, oh no, that's the one he blanked. <laughs> but West Ham, which is a tricky one, he got an assist there. So, great shout, yeah. So finally, I was going to mention Tommy Asu, 4.5 at Arsenal. Just a quick shout out to him because he started playing for Arsenal two weeks ago. Arsenal have kept two clean sheets in the last three games. Obviously didn't against Spurs, but he's just shored up Arsenal's defence I think but looking through the rest of the episode we aren't going to give an exclusive shout out to Tony and you've mentioned him a couple of times already but my word was he causing Liverpool all sorts of problems at the weekend he was unlucky to get away with just one assist I thought it's the epitome of passing the eye test I would say he sums it up perfectly in the sense that he had an absolute cracking game but didn't score that many points he's exactly why this feature exists Tom yeah, that's a really good point, yeah. A um, couple of tough fixtures coming up, but as he's proved against Liverpool, that really didn't matter. Brentford just looked so dangerous coming forward every time they did, and that's not to say they're up against a bad defence, but it's uh, all eyes on him for future weeks, even against the tough teams. Yeah, I'm shaking my head because, you know, these were all things we were saying about Tony, hoping about Tony going into the season, and that's why a lot of us had him in our teams. And yet, you know, we ran out of patience. A lot of people like me ran out of patience as soon as it looked like the fixtures were going to turn. And that's as soon as he decided to deliver. Um, <laughs> and now you kind of look back at that first six weeks. Two goals, two assists. You know, so four attacking returns in six games for a player that's, that, like, cheap. Um, you know, it's good. That's really good. That's Absolutely. what you want from a player. Yeah, yeah. Price and-, and a quick flag with Antonio Brentford at home next game. But then after that, hits a few tricky fixtures. So there's a possible of a downgrade there. I mean, I think he's Antonio's probably quite fixture-proof. 
but West Ham aren't, if that makes sense. So he might start dropping off, and if so, a cut price Tony, now that he's dropped in price, might not be a bad place to look. Yeah, I'd also have a quick word on his strike partner, who everyone pronounces incorrectly, and I'm going to continue that as well. <laughs> um, Brian Mbomo? It looks like it's Mbomo, but it's, I think it's Mbomo. I that's prefer your pronunciation, if that's a thing. You know, I, I remember when we were talking about whether to get on Tony early on in the season, um, some of the data was showing that Tony was actually playing a little bit further behind Bomo. And that's continued. So they've they've basically got a strike partnership. Mm. And, you know, I think the week before the Liverpool game when Brentford won at Wolves, Tony was just creating so many chances for Mbomo and, you know, he only put one of them away. But you know, Mbomo's been getting a hell of a lot of opportunities to score and he, mm. and he's playing really far forward and he's a five point five midfielder. So I think he's worth a look as well. So if you know, if like you said you might be looking to get rid of Antonio mm. um, and, and, and Tony might be the way to, to go but you might also be looking to get rid of Ben Rama and so Mboma might be there yeah good shout really good shout I'm not going to spend too much time on this we've got a few quick people on the shopping list ah. one of them which is Rudiger uh, we've already kind of covered by talking about Christensen I think obviously Rudiger is one of the most transferred in players this week because he looks like the most nailed on in in, in the Chelsea defence and everyone wants to get on the Chelsea defence ahead of this great run of fixtures. The other two, though, that I wanted to mention are a couple of uh, mid-price forwards. Again, Revenge of the Mid-Mids, in this this, this instance, the mid-forwards. So Raul Jimenez, who we've been bigging up week on week for all of the stats, you know, he's been creating chances, he's been receiving uh, the ball in great great, uh, spaces to score... Uh, but just hasn't got that rub of the green, hasn't been able to like finish the chances that he's got. He finally broke his duck and scored, and he's got Newcastle at home next. Uh, and, you know, there's still a great run of fixtures after that. So do you reckon now that he's got that goal, you know, his his confidence will return? And you said it was quite a good one, right? It was, yeah, yeah. It was a outside-of-the-box banger from what I remember. Yeah, I don't, I don't see why not. Like, as you say, if Wolves are still... Hitting the dizzy heights they were a few weeks ago of expected goals, he's surely quite a safe pick. The price is still quite off-putting for someone who's only returned one week in six, but hes you could see what it meant to him yeah. it would, for his celebration. You could absolutely see. You were visualising the weight lifting from his shoulders. It was a beautiful sight. Yeah, yeah, I really do hope that is the weight lifted. I think the week before, he was so frustrated with some of the chances that he'd missed that I think he, he he tore off his like protective Did like he? headgear and like threw it on the ground and um, so yeah hopefully that that's that's his kind of corner turned now but the other one so I'm not really considering Jimenez for the reasons that you've just said like I think that this week against Newcastle is a great option but long term I'm actually looking at Ollie Watkins okay um, so he popped up on last week's quiz if you remember mm. because he was one of the strikers who had one of the highest chances per minute. He was right up there with, you know, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, Lukaku, etc. And Villa's new three-five-two formation looks really good. You know, it means that Watkins and Ings are playing as a partnership. And I think we all assumed that Ings' arrival at Villa was going to mean that he was going to be the main sort of, you know, goal scorer. But actually, when you look at the stats, all of the chances have been falling to Watkins. Wow, okay. To a huge degree. Like, Ings is, 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 is really sort of playing second fiddle to Watkins. And, you know, Watkins showed last season that 
he's got the talent to, 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 to be a top striker. So they've got Spurs this weekend, ropey Spurs. Yeah, it's not bad a fixture anymore, is it? No. Then they've got Wolves at home, Arsenal away, West Ham, Southampton, Brighton Palace. So there's, there's quite a few in there where a team like Villa, mm-hmm. who are more than capable of popping up with you know a win against the top side as we saw this weekend. You know they're they're in that bracket of teams where it wasn't a major shock. Mm-hmm. You know we as we, we were we were fully expecting United to win that game, but not in the way that we were talking about when they were playing Newcastle. Like that would have been an incredible shock, right? Whereas Villa, you know they've got this solid formation, they've got a, a good manager in, in Dean Smith and they've got players who can really hurt you like Watkins and Ings and I just think I fancy Watkins for, for the for that run coming up and also a quick shout out to um, Cash little Matty yeah, Cash he's getting forward a lot more now isn't he yeah he's really benefiting from that new position as like a, a, a proper wing back in a in a um, you know 3-5-2 yeah well he used to play both centre mid and right wing for Forrest so he knows he knows how to play in the opponent's half, I'd say. Oh, and he knows how to strike from distance. I don't know if you saw, there was one chance that they had at Old Trafford where Cash had a great run down the right, whipped a really good cross uh, into the box. It was his you know, fellow wing-back. Target. Matt Target, yeah, who, who just was you know, whisker away from getting on the end of it and turning mm. it into the net. So... You know that that's always a good sign for wing backs when you see them cross into one another. I remember, like back in the day, Coleman and Baines were kind of like that yeah. partnership at Everton. So yeah, I think either of them, those wing backs at Villa, would be good picks too. But yeah, the main the main one for me, Ollie Watkins. I'm I'm, I'm really eyeing him up for the shopping list moving forward. I hadn't even considered him since game week one, Tom. So it's a great shout. Moving on to who's your captain, Tom? <laughs> Who are your main contenders this week? Well, I think when we were looking at the um, fixtures and how they shifted so favourably towards Chelsea from this week coming, everyone had set in stone Lukaku captain against Southampton. That's where my armband is at the moment. Talk me out of it. Well, it's also the same with me as well. But I don't think Southampton are quite the pushovers that we imagined they might be when we were looking at this fixture. So, you know, Southampton so far this season have played City, United and West Ham who are three of the highest scoring attacks in the league. You know, City have scored 12 goals, United and West Ham have both scored 13 goals. Only Liverpool have scored more than that. So these are some of the best attacks in, in the league. And in those three games, Southampton have drawn 1-1 against United, 0-0 against West Ham, 0-0 against City. And wow. they, were, they were really worth those draws in each of those games, right? They, they, they pressed really energetically f- from the front, played a really high line, making it really difficult for those teams like West Ham City uh, and United to get any kind of uh, momentum in midfield because they just compressed the size of the pitch so much mm. that there was just no space in midfield for those teams to operate. And and so it's going to be a trickier proposition, perhaps, than we thought it was going to be. Now, does that mean that we did expect the Lukaku to blank again? Probably not. But it isn't quite as like, oh, Lukaku hat-trick guaranteed mm in the way that you know we've said in previous weeks like Ronaldo at home to Newcastle I think there was one week where Antonio was playing someone was it the Palace game I think we just thought oh yeah Antonio against Palace he's definitely going to deliver in that and he did get in a goal and assist I don't think we've got a contender like that this week right okay I, I, like I, I don't think no one's really I don't think they're really licking the lips I think Lukaku is probably going to be the favourite but 
I'm going to try and put forward a couple of others to see if, you know, you might change your mind. Tickle my taste buds. Yeah. So Ronaldo, as we've already mentioned, people are selling him. Not quite in the droves, but uh, quite a significant number of people have sold Ronaldo this week. But he's still off the charts for minutes per chance. So that's the metric that we... And they've since played a full game where you know he hasn't scored, United as a team haven't scored, um, and yet his minutes per chance is still 15.9. So he was still like racking up those chances. So for comparison, Salah has a chance every 21.6 minutes... Lukaku is every 30 minutes wow. so far this, this season. So it is double, isn't it? So the Ronaldo's double that. So he's, he's getting chances twice as regularly as Lukaku. And Everton, admittedly, are looking good so far. Um, but they're conceding goals and they haven't really played a top 10 team yet. So I looked at like Everton's fixtures. And yeah, they've obviously been playing well. But they've played Southampton, Leeds, Brighton, Burnley, Villa and Norwich. You could say it's, you know, they've played a couple of decent sides, but none of them are top sides. No offence. And now they're going to come up against the, one of the most legendary goal scorers of all time. <laughs> so, I don't know. I mean, you've got both of them. Are you considering maybe Ronaldo instead of Lukaku? I hadn't even thought about it. In my head, Everton were a, ro- a robust defensive team still. I think Everton are robust, but it's kind of like what we saw with Brentford last week. Like Brentford had been robust. Up until they came up against Salah and, mm. and the Liverpool attack, which they'd not played that type of um, opponent before. And so I think, yeah, Everton are looking solid, but this is going to be the real acid test. Like, are, are, they, are they actually solid mm. when they come up against seriously good attackers? So, yeah, I'll throw Ronaldo in there. And then the third one, our main man this season, probably entering into legendary status... For fantasy terms, Antonio, you think? Absolutely, yeah, no doubt about it. He's still topping all the stats tables for strikers. You know, uh, with Ronaldo and, and, and a little bit with Lukaku as well, you know, they've played fewer games, so you have to kind of go into the uh, chances per minute rather than chances overall. But if you're looking at overall for the season so far, Antonio is like tops them all. And he's playing Brentford and Brentford showed us this weekend that you know they're a bit more open than than we expected them to be perhaps absolutely no no no, you're so right they I mean they just were letting in goals for fun at the weekend they felt like I had more chances against Liverpool than uh, Liverpool had against them but yeah it was it was expansive football like you say and if if they take up the sort of Leeds approach to big games then I think it it could be an absolute haul for Antonio at the weekend because I think they're, they're probably a, a lot better set up. At, well, they'll know what to expect now, especially with the lots of deep crosses. They're better set up to uh, defend them, I think. So how do you think Brentford will judge West Ham? Because like, Brentford have had games against you know, teams like you know, Palace and Wolves where they've prioritised solidity, mm. it seems. Especially that like, Arsenal game, first, first, the first game of the season. But then, obviously, you know that game. They came out of the shell and thought, you know, we, we, if we're going to get something out of this, we need to change tack. Do, mm. Where where do West Ham fit? You think they'll see West Ham and think solidity, or do you think they'll see West Ham and think, right, well, this is like Liverpool. We need to go toe to toe. Yeah, I think you're right. I think from what we've seen this season, they are the perfect balance. Well, they they are what Leeds need, and they play the strong, high pressure, expansive football one week. But then the next week, turn it completely around. And you're so right. 
which one of those two Brentfords are we going to see? And I genuinely think riding high off of the Liverpool result, because it was a win for them. You know, yeah. it was it was absolutely a win. They've they've got to go again, I think, and they've got to have faith that they can outscore the opposition. Yeah, I think Thomas Frank's proved himself to be really canny, hasn't he? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, like you say, I mean, he's adapting his game each week to, mm. to, to suit the opponent. And I think, I didn't watch the Liverpool game, but from what I've seen in the analysis, it was a specific like tactic they had of playing these long balls to the back post right and creating yeah. overloads in these like long ball situations yeah. winning the second ball from these headers and stuff and that was really specific against Liverpool right so it'll be surprising to see what he's got in store for, yeah. for the West Ham game I like. think if they, they will I think they will try that again and I think it's only good news for West Ham well sorry it's only good news for Antonio because <laughs> yeah. Antonio could absolutely run right against them better finishers if Liverpool had finished all their chances then I think they would have um, would have easily beat them but your boy Raya, you know, he's been, you know, you, 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 you singled him out at the beginning of the season and um, he, he, he's been looking great, hasn't he? Yeah, what did I do? It's my fault. I mean, obviously not that many points this season, uh, this week, sorry, but still looked looked every bit the shot stopper that Ben Foster was years ago. Yeah. Any uh, differentials this week, Tom? Well, Salah always has to be in the conversation, right? Kind of feels, you know, like that Jurassic Park line. Life always finds a way. Yeah. It's just Salah, right? He always <laughs> finds a way to score. Especially against City, especially at home. Yeah, I mean, he does actually have a good record, right? Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's it, on paper, obviously, we've talked about how strong City's defence has been so far this season. But, you know, my mind is just filled with the memories of, of that little moment in a game that Liverpool can execute against City where they have, like, this trap set up for when City are passing it around the back and then the second that they pass it to the defensive midfielder or someone who's dropping deep to take that up that position, whether it's De Bruyne or Fernandinho or whoever it might be, they just pounce. Mm. Win the ball in that position, one pass, the through, and it's goal. Mm. And like, not many teams can, can play that way, but Liverpool can. Um, and so... You know, this is where you get that cliche of the form book can go out the window kind of thing because City's high press and, and, and the solidity that they've been showing so far is one thing against most teams, but against Liverpool it's quite different. So Salah always is a is a great shout and even against a defence as solid as City's is looking, you wouldn't bet against him, would you? Absolutely not. No, no. The, the the Liverpool City game we haven't actually touched on it yet this week. Tom is it just always goes one of two ways I find. And now saying this, it'll be a draw. It'll be a nil nil draw. <laughs> but it it always favours one side. I think even if it feels close by scoreline, you can just tell by the end of it. But it is usually a goal fest. I don't see Salah as a bad shout. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, because I think one of the th- one of the consequences of that trap that Liverpool set for City is that City just kind of go a bit mad and, and, and just go, right, well, we'll just take it up a notch, trying to get the ball out and take more risks, which makes them more vulnerable, mm-hmm. but also makes them a bit more potent if they can get it past the press. Yeah. And so that's when we end up with, like, you know, the 4-3 at Anfield, which wasn't that long ago, and etc. I mean, obviously, one of the things that we've got to mention is that up until last season, in, you know, the pandemic season with no fans, City's record at Anfield is woeful. And, mm. you know, you can... 
it's it's going to be interesting to see whether that game last season where Foden obviously scored a couple of amazing goals, whether that does kind of get the monkey off the back for City, whether they go to Anfield with a little bit less of a psychological issue mm. than they would have done normally because it was a serious psychological issue. I mean, we, we can go back to those Champions League ties where, you know, the team bus was coming in, the fans were just, like, going wild, yeah. um, almost turning upside down. And and that kind of, like, atmosphere is obviously going to play a huge factor and, and, and City never won yeah. there. So With the defence looking so solid, there's narrative... There's what would you say? What they've conceded one goal this season in the Premier League, yeah. And, yeah, and you know, Salah maybe not as bright, he's still looking good. Um, Liverpool haven't lost in what now 16 games, there's an unbeaten run since stretches all the way back into last season. And it get it, you know, when it starts to get to the stage where people start mentioning it in stats, that that's when the other team just beat you and then it just disappears again. The, the narrative is there for City, I think, this, this time. Yeah, would you think both teams would take a draw? Yeah, absolutely. I, I do too. Yeah. And I know people shouldn't really read too much into that, but it does factor in, doesn't it? When, say, if you don't quite get that explosive start, or say the explosive start does happen, but the chances are missed, mm-hmm. which often happens. Um, and then once you get past like 50, 60 minutes, you know, sometimes when, when it's a game where both sides are thinking, you know what? a point's not a bad result here mm. um, it can just peter out that's happened in Manchester derbies recently and given the state of the Premier League this season where it really looks like it's going to be tight at the top if that explosive start doesn't result in goals maybe it'll go that direction it's going to be exciting to watch though isn't it for, I'm sure it will be for the neutral yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah I don't know if, the, if if any of the Maverick picks stand out for you I mean you, you went and saw Watford um, at Newcastle Saar scored again he's mm-hmm. up against Ramshackle Leeds this week do you reckon he'll have much joy uh, do you know I was kind of disappointed with Saar he, oh. he played out much more on the wing than I thought he was going to obviously he is a winger so I don't know what I expected but they just they, they nullified him perfectly I thought um, I didn't think Newcastle's defence was good apart from the fact that they were able to just shut Saar out from the game until he scored his one real chance for yeah. a free header from a corner. So maybe not a captain pick then. Maybe not, just because Watford looked bad. Yeah, yeah. More than anything. I think if I had Jimenez or Vardy, mm. I'd think about it. You know, we mentioned that Lukaku, there are reasons to think that it's not just a absolute dead cert that he's going to get a big haul. Uh, and there are similar reasons you could probably turn to for like Everton's defence looking not that bad so far, Brentford looking fairly good at home, like we've yeah. said. So if you had Vardy, who's just scored a couple of goals against Burnley, and you know now he's got Palace, uh, or if you had Jimenez, who's finally broken his duck, and now he's got Newcastle, who are conceding <laughs> loads of chances, yeah, you can definitely consider them, maybe, if you've Absolutely. got them. Yeah, worth a thought. But not a lot more, I'd say, Tom. <laughs> well, we'll see if one size fits all. We're talking about him again next week. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Maybe we will. So that means it's time for the quiz? Yes. Yes, I'm <laughs> so ready for this. I've been doing zero research, which, you know, does not bode well. But <laughs> I, I'm feeling confident. Two out of five last week, one out of five the week before. 
Yeah, I remember your process was really good last week. So you, you eliminated all the incorrect answers, mm. uh, apart from two, but then chose the remaining incorrect one. Jeez. <laughs> so maybe you'll follow the same... You, you, so you were like Traore last, last, last week. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe you can be more Sam Maximan this week. Nice, actually okay. deliver the goods. Thank you. That, what a compliment that would be. <laughs> so question one, uh, which player created the most chances this weekend just gone? Was it Sam Maximan against Watford? Was it Bruno Fernandes against Villa? Foden versus Chelsea? Or Tielemans against Burnley? A few random choices there. None of the huge names. There are, but they're all they're all tempting for that reason. You know, they were, they might not be there unless unless there was a reason. I didn't watch the full ninety minutes of any of those games apart from Sam Maximan, and I'd say he created four or five. Is it most chances or like clear cut chance or anything, or just most chances? So it's not big chances. It's okay. just most chances. Yeah. I'm gonna go with him anyway. Oh, he is second okay. on the list. Right. So yeah, the process was good again. But <laughs> oh, the, familiar the, feelings yeah. sinking in. <laughs> yeah, the top answer was Bruno Fernandez. Wow. Okay. So Fernandez created ten chances no. against against Villa. Okay. Um, I mean, this is the only reason I had to include it because. It's such an insane amount of chances to create in one game that it's propelled him to the top of the creativity charts for the season so far. So he's up there now with Trent uh, for 21 chances created so far this season. So I remember we were waxing lyrical about Trent so far this season because he'd been creating an average of five a game, Mm. which is crazy. Mm. Five opportunities to score per game. And Bruno just created 10 in one single game. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, it's, that's half of what he's created this season. Yeah, I thought it was worth highlighting that um, perhaps it isn't, you know, such a bad idea to hang on to Bruno, the top scorer from last season, if you've still got him. And, you know, if Bruno Fernandes becomes a differential, who knows? Absolutely. You've, you've just reminded me that the Yeti Wanderers captained Fernandes last week, which is, like you say, in the 90-plus fifth minute or whenever he took that penalty was the oh, difference between, wow. for him, nor or 20 points. That is really hard. That's hard to take, isn't yeah. it? Wow, yeah. Unlucky there, Yeti Wanderers. Question two. Which team recorded the most shots inside the box this weekend? So, inside the box. Ooh. Was it Liverpool against Brentford, United against Villa, City against Chelsea, or Arsenal against Spurs? Ooh. Of course, it was Arsenal versus Spurs. Oh, oh. No, again. It was United again. Uh, wow. Okay. So this they create they were they had seventeen shots inside the box <laughs> this 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 week against Villa. So Leicester were second in their game against Burnley with fourteen. Then City and West Ham both had eleven. Before you ask the next question, is the answer Man United? <laughs> I'm sensing a theme that I'm going to pick up on here. <laughs> no, um, ah. but I, do, I, I think you know. The, I still wouldn't revisit the advice we gave about the shrewd move or knee joke at the beginning. I think there are enough reasons to move away from someone like Luke Shaw. This kind of highlights to me that Ronaldo is a ridiculous knee jerk mm. to get rid of. You know, he's still going to be getting loads of chances and. Yeah, it's probably going to continue delivering. So, which of the teams facing this week's main captain choices has conceded the highest number of shots inside the box so far this season? So this is our regular question. I'm really enjoying um, this one. To try and assess who's the weakest defence that our captain choices are facing. Um, So is it Southampton, who Lukaku is up against this week? Is it Brentford, who Antonio is up against this week? 
Is it Everton who Ronaldo's up against this week, or is it Palace that Vardy's up against? It's a tough one, isn't it? Really? It is really tough, you know. I, ooh, I'm just trying to think back to Brentford's old games. Like even the Wolves game, they were quite fortunate. They had, did have a lot of shots. I'm not going to go Everton. I'm not going to go Southampton for every reason you said earlier. It's Palace or Brentford, and the answer is Palace. <laughs> their second <laughs> it's not Brentford is it no it's okay. um, it's Southampton oh, okay um, so yeah I, I, it, it surprised me um, I mean I guess it's hard to know what to take from this because I guess one way of looking at it is you know they have played those tough games that we mentioned they've been to Everton away they've played Man United Man City and West Ham you know three of the top attacks um, so you know they've been facing teams that create a lot of chances. Mm. Um, And yet, you know, they're not... Whilst they're top in this particular list, and that's, again, you know, good evidence as to why captain shout this this week is probably a bit trickier than usual, they're not actually that bad overall. So Southampton have conceded 48 shots inside the box, Palace, 42, Brentford, 39, and... Everton 35 and that means Everton are third from bottom on that metric you know there's only City and Chelsea below them Um, so you know we saw last week you know with Brentford that maybe you know top attacks can break these stubborn defences down but for comparison like Leeds are still top of that with 73 shots inside the box that's almost double what we're talking about with teams like Southampton and Palace you know Burnley are right at the top with 70 Spurs are up there with 67 um, before you get to Norwich on 66. So none of these teams are pushovers. So, yeah, um, question four. Of all the mid-mids, it's been a nice little theme this week. Love the mid-mids. So for this, looking at midfielders priced 7.5 or less, uh, who has the highest expected goals so far this season? Um, Is it Rafinha, Gallagher... Mbomo or Saar? So the highest expected goals. That's like the big chances they're expected to score. Um, Rafina. It is. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I thought if I just... if I, You know what? It's not, it's not worked for me so far trying to work it out. Um, I'm just going to go in. Uh, and apparently I can't even get that right. <laughs> you know, that's four questions asked and I'm right. If I'd just gone for the same letter each time, I'd have at least got one term. Oh, man. I think... Yeah, maybe I've been pretty harsh on the options this week. But it is your boy Gallagher, who you've got playing tonight, right. who is top. Um, okay. In, so, and he's a game shy of all the others. Yeah, yeah. Wow, I was really not expecting that to be the case. Yeah, so he's um, it, he's just getting into such great positions, isn't he? He's scored two already. Uh, so he's the top of that metric. And Bomo's second. Saar is third. Then you've got players like Torres and the elusive blobfish Elianusi before you get down to players like uh, Ben Rama and uh, some of the other favourites around that price, which Rafinha is also into. So I think Mbomo and Gallagher looking like, you know, pretty decent value. Yeah. Uh, very cheap as well. Finally then, right, we could have... Right, OK. I mean, <laughs> have heard of. If you could just, set, like, as you read out the answers, give me a massive wink or, like, <laughs> mouth this one to me as you go through them. That would be really appreciated. Like, have I got 0 out of 5 before? 
Uh, I think you have in, okay. in the opening week. But not in a multiple choice. No. In, not in this new format. No. Or, okay, no pressure then. So which team recorded the highest expected goals this weekend? Was it Brentford? Uh, Leicester versus Burnley. Everton versus Norwich. Newcastle versus Watford. I'm not going to read into the fact that you stalled on Brentford. I'm just going to go with them anyway. And it say is Brentford. Brentford. Yes. Ding, ding, ding. Do you know what? That's the only expected goals I've seen, and it was directly after the game. I mean, I didn't see the game, so you might have to explain this for me. But basically, there wasn't that much between it. They were both around three. Okay. Which is crazy, because obviously that was the final score. Uh, usually, you, you, you don't see the expected goals quite aligned quite so perfectly with, with the actual goals. But, yeah, I mean, how did they do that against Liverpool? Like you say, they had this one technique which they absolutely... I don't know if City will be able to adopt it, but (laughs) usually Henderson's back at the back post with Trent, but for some reason he must have... Klopp must have just said, just don't worry about it this week, it's only Brentford. And, yeah, Liverpool was just made to pay. There were three versus one at the back post versus Trent every single time. Yeah. And it made him... It made Trent look really bad. Uh, Again, was Virgil out of position? Should should Alisson collect those crosses? When they're when they're so low at the back post as well, but it just it worked so well, and Liverpool just didn't know how to deal with it. That doesn't it doesn't surprise me at all, to be honest. I guess like I I can't see any way in which teams like City would take anything from that really, mm. just because of how kind of set in the ways a team like City are. Perhaps like when as as Liverpool move forward, you might see in some of the games they've got after that, like Watford, for example. I don't think Watford have got the same personnel to be able to do it to Liverpool, but yeah. but you know maybe you'll see that. I think the more interesting thing though is whether Brentford can replicate that goal threat against other teams because you know we've highlighted a couple of their attackers this in this week's pod, and it'd be great if if Mbomo and Tony became long term options. Mm-hmm. Do you think that they, they they can you know they've they've scored three against Liverpool now, and obviously they scored two against Wolves the week yeah. before. Um, I think the week before that, you know, they hadn't really scored, so they're scoring more every week. Yeah, <laughs> they'll score four next week. <laughs> yeah. Um, they, uh, yeah, you know what? I wouldn't be surprised. It, it felt like every chance they had that wasn't the deep ball was going via Tony, like we were saying earlier, and every chance that they had the week before against Wolves was going via Tony. And I, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but they definitely look somewhat formidable in attack. Knees were rattling. And not they weren't jerking, they were just very nervous about the threat that they posed every time they came forward. So fair play to Brentford, not what I expected at all. You know what's interesting is that it's, it usually is the play, the team that's come up through the playoffs that's by far the most impressive. Yeah. yeah. It, which is strange, isn't it? It's low expectations, I think, uh, yeah, to an extent. Yeah. So I guess we should end on our predictions for the weekend, Tom. Um, just so you're aware, I've taken two weeks off work to recover from the slaughter that's going to happen this weekend. <laughs> I'm definitely predicting a high-scoring game, despite City's strong defence. I just don't know which way it's going to go. I yeah. think I think there will be a lot of goals. I don't know how much I want to get blinded by that one great uh, performance against Chelsea because you know you only go back before that, and it was a frustrating game against Southampton where they didn't deserve to win and didn't. You know, and then obviously, midweek before that, it was a carnage game against Leipzig. Mm. It was six three, and you think if Leipzig can cause that kind of like threat against City's defense, then who who play a similar kind of style to yeah. Liverpool in a lot of ways? Then uh, Ake was playing 
Yeah, Ake was playing, that's true. <laughs> and, and, and even in the Leicester game, you know, once the Southampton result had come in, I was starting to rethink that Leicester win that, that City had. Because Leicester keep keep coming up on the stats tables in, in, in our discussions week on week as being terrible going forward. Mm. You know, they've got one of the lowest chances created and really bad at the back. They've got, like, the highest chances conceded. And, and so suddenly I thought, maybe that was just an easy game, really, mm. and that it wasn't an impressive win. So I really don't know how to judge City at the moment. And, yeah, I guess it'll be another kind of acid test as to whether that Chelsea win was about them really neutralising Chelsea and I've seen some good analyses about how they executed that press to just suffocate Chelsea so that they could just never get out but like you said, you know, you can look at it from Chelsea's point of view and the fact that Tuchel played Werner and Lukaku as this stranded front two with three defensive midfielders behind them wasn't a great choice Mm. either so you can kind of look at it from both ways as to whether City were great or mm. Chelsea were just crap. It's a really tough one to call. Uh, obviously, it's going to have such a huge bearing on the league as well. <laughs> but yeah, I'm going to sit on the fence. I'm going to go one-one. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, fair. Does it would a, would a win mean more to City at the moment? Oh, definitely. The way that you know City have dropped points against Spurs and Southampton already. Right. Okay. You know, Liverpool have played. You know, Chelsea at home. They've Brentford away, you know, the big games. <laughs> I mean, who else have Liverpool played? I thought they'd, they'd, they'd had a couple of tricky ones. Not necessarily. They played Norwich. Oh, yeah, perhaps it is just the Chelsea one, really. But, uh, yeah, well, I guess even a similar position. It's just that they've actually dropped points against Spurs and Southampton, mm. whereas Liverpool have only really dropped points once. I mean, other than that, I think... It's going to be interesting seeing if Chelsea can really kick kick on ahead of this great fixture run that they've got against Southampton. Mm-hmm. I think United can they kind of bounce back from this fire sale and show <laughs> and show everyone that that they are actually good and that was just a blip. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see if they can bounce back against Everton and that's the early kickoff. Never back the early kickoff, Tom. Yeah, you call it the Gandhi rule. The Gandhi rule, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so and like... it, it proved again, Ronaldo, you know, and and. Ch- Lukaku, I guess, to an extent. So you need to explain the Gandhi rule. Completely, completely <laughs> lacking. Gandhi rule is that Gandhi once said, "Never about the early kickoff." That's that's just a well well known throughout all of folklore. It's written in text throughout <laughs> yeah. all of time. So I saw this meme. I think you introduced me to this meme, um, and you know, obviously, it shocked me that Gandhi had said that. <laughs> but but yeah, it, it really is strange how the early kickoff can often prove to be a damp squib especially in fantasy terms so yeah that's another challenge for Man United to overcome (laughs) and until next week yeah it's a good night from me good night from him